0: A short announcement before we start the show. Applications for Future Film Incubator 2023 are now open. If you are a storyteller looking to get your project made and take your business or career to the next level, then I urge you to consider applying. Combining the latest technologies and commercial strategies, this unique program is built to empower you to take your project from concept to an IP driven business, which you'll then have the opportunity to present to financiers and commissioners who last year included Netflix, Film 4, Ingenious and Lego, to name just a few. This year, we are thrilled to be opening up a programme to our global community. So wherever you are based in the world, if you have a vision, if you have a story to tell, you can apply to become part of the programme. To find out more, just head over to futureoffilm.live where you'll see all the details. And importantly, the deadline is 31st of May, 2023. Also, this year we are thrilled that Dell Technologies are again supporting the programme. And in celebration of this, and as part of their continued commitment to supporting creators, they are giving away one of their awesome 5470 workstations to one lucky winner. For details on how to enter this competition, just head over to futureoffilm.live. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, welcome back to Future of Film podcast. My name is Alex Stoltz, I'm the founder of Future of Film and host of this show. And as regular listeners know, this is where we share insights and strategies from the pioneers, trailblazers and disruptors. Yes, disruptors, who are shaping the future of film. So today I'm delighted to welcome to the show, Niels Jewell. Niels is an exec producer with expertise in financing and packaging features and a track record of working with top directors, including Martin Scorsese and Michael Mann, no less. Niels's long and varied career includes co-founding and running the world-renowned fashion and lifestyle brand Von Dutch. And he cut his film chops with a spell as CEO of a legendary Italian film company, Checchi Gori Pictures, uh, which led him to work with Martin Scorsese for the first time on Silence, a collaboration that continued with The Irishman and the upcoming can-bound epic, Killers of the Flower Moon. Niels currently runs No Fat Ego, based out of LA, a multi-functioning production company with the aim to produce meaningful algorithm-defying content made by exceptional writers, producers and directors. He also last year launched NFT Studios to bring Web3 technology into the film financing and distribution space. But as you'll hear from this conversation, that process has been far from straightforward. I absolutely loved talking with Niels. He is a great character. He brings so much energy, uh, enthusiasm, and insights into the conversation, particularly around the business of storytelling. I always tend to trust people who have had experience, success outside of film, and bring that into the industry. Uh, It obviously just brings a, a much wider perspective, and we cover so much ground including, of course, NFTs, Web3, blockchain, and why this particular uh, project has run into some challenges. Nils' career, working with Scorsese, and he shares some amazing advice for anyone looking to succeed in the space. As Niels explains, though, he was talking to me from his car in between meetings in LA. He was parked, I might add, but that means the audio is a little more mean streets uh, than the Irishman, we might say, when it comes to the sound design. So I hope you bear with that, and I hope it does bring a little bit more flavor anyway to the conversation. And in fact, I started the show by asking Niels to just describe where he was currently sat.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Where do we find you today? You're obviously in between meetings in LA. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I, I hate to straight off the bat look like the stereotypical producer sitting in his convertible in the middle between Beverly Hills and Century City running around meetings. I'm sorry, Alex. It's uh, I, I really fit the norm right now. All I need is a post detail and a cigar and uh, it will be all perfect. Yeah.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. It's, pro- it's properly uh, authentic. Um, I, I, I love yeah. it. And uh, we'll, just yeah. keep, we'll keep an eye on the background in case you know we get any uh, strange characters approaching. We'll you, uh, all, 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 all,
1: all I want is if, if I do get a, a ticket of some sort, a policeman pulls over, maybe the form can uh, yeah. reimburse me for the expense of yeah. uh, holding a phone. But I'm not driving, Alex. I'm not driving. OK, so I should be all right. This is good. Yeah, yeah.
0: This is good. How long have have you lived in LA?
1: Well, uh, on and off since 1989. But I had a stint in five years in London. I was one year in Tokyo, one year in Paris. I was uh, two years uh, around living in Europe. Come back to LA. LA is one of those places that they say in Hotel California, you can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Like the Eagles said. I think they were singing about something different, by the way. But uh, I have this love relationship with LA. I, I can't leave it. I love the business here. I love the people here. I love this uh, vibrancy of arts and you know culture and writers and directors and dreamers coming together. So I I love LA and I yeah it's my home and um, I, I I live in it and I fight in it. So here I am.
0: Amazing, amazing. Yeah. yeah. Tell tell us about about the your introduction to the film business right because i from my understanding you 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 had a lot of other experiences before you joined the industry
1: yeah i i uh, i came originally from the advertising industry i was in copenhagen uh, agencies i'm originally from denmark and uh I did a lot in that space, uh, luxury advertising, branding, and then I was pulled in to do uh, luxury goods on the consumer level, and I built uh, some brands, uh, worked with a number of European brands in fashion, and uh, ended up becoming a founding uh, member of something called Bond Dutch, which exploded back in the early 2000s and became sort of like the brand that established Paris Hilton and the rest of it, and so I do apologize for that. Uh, but we had these trucker hats and logos and things, and we became a global success, hence me living all over the world and, and doing that. So I, ca- I come really from the fashion business. I spent 15 years in that, and uh, come came into the movie business sideways as uh, someone asked me if I wanted to see if I can um, revitalize a sort of deadish uh, Italian-American film company that had a great heritage, great library, uh, whether I would fix it, and I said yes. Why not? I love movies, and uh, I had previously studied a little bit in movies. I have always loved it, and took a chance back in two thousand and eight or nine, and and haven't looked back. And I've been in the movie business ever since.
0: Yeah. So that was um, that company was Czechy Gory, right? I'm pronouncing it
1: correct. Yeah, Yeah. they they uh, did uh, beautiful things such as uh, Life is Beautiful, Il Postino, Mediterraneo. They got four Oscars to their name. Moreover, they were also big investors in Hollywood in movies like Shawshank Redemption. Uh, it's a beautiful Italian film company by a wonderful, wonderful uh, Italian producer Vittorio Cecigori, who uh, was behind some of the greatest successes in Italian cinema and that crossed into uh, the US so nicely. Um, the company had been in a little bit of trouble uh, financially, so we went in and we resurrected the the company and uh, got uh, movies made from its library of scripts because the beautiful thing about Chigori and Vittorio and, and his team back in the day, they had a really good taste for uh, scripts and bought some amazing material, which one of the, which was uh, Silence. That was a book written by Shushako Endo and that had been turned into a script back in 19, <laughs> 1989 or 1990. Uh, so when I joined in 2008, I said to the people that had engaged me, I said, "Hey, what do we have?" And we went running through the old storage, so to speak, and dusted off old scripts and contracts, and we found this gem, basically, of a, a book and a script, and thought, "Let's call Scorsese and see what he says." And uh, that was the beginning.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's the that was the beginning of your your relation your working relationship with martin scorsese tell me tell me a bit more about that and how that has evolved
1: well it's 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 i guess what i learned from the fashion business or having worked with uh you know creatives my whole life is uh, you're only as good as the creative you found you surround yourself with and if you want to do the best you've got to get the best you right and so obviously ha- having gone to ucla extension film school uh which is the school where they led you in at night when all the cool people are gone, right? And so, you know, I was going to the night school of UCLA, which is, you know, we're in the shadows, basically. But I've always loved it. And obviously Scorsese was the epitome for me. I mean, this is a man who, to me, represents the finest of American cinema, along, of course, with the Spielbergs and the Michael Mans of the world. But Scorsese was a dream, right? So when I found that script and I saw that he had been trying to do it since 1989, and never succeeded because it's it's a topical movie. It's a it's a more difficult movie than than most uh, sort of popcorn fare, and it had never gotten financed. And I thought, well, you know, I told my assistant, why don't you call Marty Scorsese? And she says, that's not how you do it, Niels. She's a old Hollywood rat, right? She knows how to the game is and how the sort of protocol is. And I said, screw protocol, i you know, I want to, here's my chance. I'm the CEO of a film company. Now I'm going to call, of course, I was a little bit sort of Viking flamboyant here. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, but Lord and behold, that's, uh, a short story. Uh, Two weeks later, my well, two days later, my assistant comes running into my office. We had an office at Paramount. She goes, ah, "Martin Scorsese is on the phone." I'm like, "What?" And I myself was a little bit wait himself. She goes, "Yes." His assistant says he's waiting for you on the line, and I'm like, "Oh my God, what have I done? I'm not worthy." It's like, "What am I going to say to Scorsese? I'm new in the film business. What do I know about it?" And uh, but he was so gracious on the call, and he says, "What is this about silence?" And yes, what do you want? And how can we? And I said, "Well." I think we could get it done. I have a feeling, why shouldn't this movie get made? And he says, well, can you come meet me in New York? And when Martin Scorsese said, can you come meet me in New York? You clear the calendar and uh, jumped on the plane. And the next day I sat in his office and, and he enthusiastically showed me his thoughts and vision for this fantastic movie. And I'm thinking to myself, am I awake? Am I Alice in Wonderland? You know, whatever. It's like, am I literally sitting in front of the greatest arguably director of all time, he's telling me, a CEO fixer type, about his vision, grand vision for this movie. All I wanted to do is quote Wayne's World, you know, when they go in and meet Alice Cooper and they go, we're not worthy, we're not worthy. I just literally wanted to do that, but I got really, really fired up about that and uh, he inspired me to say, yeah, let's do it. And then we went to work and I guess my experience in the, in the fashion world, which is like, you know, you have six collections a year, you've got to pull a lot of strings together to make each collection happen. And I used, I suppose, those skill sets in pulling in the right team and the right people that i would learned in the fashion world. And we actually got it done at $51 million on budget, on time uh, against all odds and against a lot of people in Hollywood that said, this will never happen. Which, you know, as a Viking, we love when people say, this will never happen. This is the best, we keep rowing, right? <laughs> And so that was it.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And uh you you've continued to, to, to work with Scorsese since leaving that role. Um obviously you're executive producer of The Irishman. Man. And yeah. And and what and, and yeah. Yeah, t- t- do you wanna talk, talk a, bit, a bit about that and a bit about what's what what's what's next with that partnership?
1: Well well we, we uh I mean basically it's a you know, Hollywood is a is a funny place because, you know, one movie links to the next. And then while you're doing one movie, you've got to keep an eye on what, what's coming after that. And then because we had had such good success with getting silence off the ground, which I must say, nobody um, thought we were going to get it done because everybody had been trying to do it since 1989. It had been one of those almost uh, happening movies of which there are many, of course, in Hollywood. And, um, but particularly when you go outside the studio system and you try and do something in, in an independent space that is over $25 million, it gets kind of tricky, and you've got to have really good, clever people managing it, and you've got to make sure that you come in on budget on time to you know at least get your equity partners and investors a return for that money or a chance for a return. So. As we were doing Silence, my friend Gaston Pavlovich, who came in graciously to uh, uh, help finance Silence, uh, we started working on The Irishman, which was a project that Marty had been wanting to do as well for a bit. And, you know, I don't want to take a whole lot of credit for my involvement in that, except that got Gaston and other people, and we got that off the ground. And The the Irishman became a budget that ballooned a little bit over the $100 million mark, and then everybody got very, very nervous, obviously. And um, thank goodness, Netflix came in at the time and said, hey, let's write a check and let's take it over. I mean, you know, and then it evolved and and then that movie got made, which is another miracle, you know. I mean, every movie over, you know, five million dollars these days is a miracle. Mm. And then, you know, I, I, I got myself a credit on Killers of the Flower Moon as an executive producer, which is coming out with Apple and Leonardo DiCaprio now. And Meanwhile, while all this was happening, I thought, well, we got to do something else. And, and I had called Michael Mann in the meantime, because another thing I had found in the sort of library of scripts that were collecting dust in the storage while the Tegagori company was going through a bankruptcy for years um, was Ferrari, uh, Enzo Ferrari, a biopic about uh, the great Enzo. And that was a project that had been sitting there since 2003 and I thought, well, why not? It worked well with Scorsese. Let me call Michael Mann. And I said to my poor assistant, you're calling Michael Mann now. She goes like, Neil, stop it. I said, ah, F, f- it. I, I don't know what the audience is or whether you're used to that word. But, you know, there there's a certain protocol you're supposed to do in Hollywood and you're supposed to mm-hmm. go through the agents. And if there's any agents watching this, of course I... Do respect the protocol, and I do that. But occasionally, you can't wait for the protocols to make things happen. So, if you follow protocol in my uh, experience, uh, you're just going to sit and wait until they call you. And the famous is, "We'll call you." Is like, well, that means they'll never call you, right? And uh, and so I called Michael Mann, and he said, "Yeah, let's get Ferrari going." And you know, we are just literally finished shooting the Enzo Ferrari movie now, and uh, that's a yeah, it, it, you know it. It is. I, mean, I it, listen. It is amazing when you when you just pull the right people together and you persevere and you, you know, you work with great directors and great writers with a great vision and you're able to actually get it off the ground and see them go roll with it. That gives me great satisfaction, hmm. and I'm been lucky to be involved in four big ones now, and you know, it's it's a blessing. Yeah, it really is. Hmm
0: and that's um that's adam driver right as enzo ferrari he's a he's yeah. just one of the most versatile actors out there every role he takes he just he just imbues it he's, he takes takes it into yeah. his skin it feels it's brilliant
1: he's uh, he's one of the very few i mean he's the daniel day lewis type of actor right you just he's a absolute chameleon and you know, I mean, we did have originally Christian Bale, who's another quality of that to play and so Ferrari originally, he was supposed to do that. But then his doctor had said to him, no, 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 you're not ballooning up in weight anymore. And so he had to uh, uh, jump out. And then, you know, I mean, this is about Hollywood, how it can be difficult. Then we actually had Hugh Jackman uh, attached as uh, into Ferrari. And then he had a scheduling conflict because of COVID and he had, uh, agreed to play a musical in New York uh, on, on Broadway. And so we lost him in the middle of the whole finance thing And we had already done. And thank goodness, because um, I've seen Adam Driver on silence. We had him on silence, and I see how he is, and he's just phenomenal. And thankfully, Michael Mann, this is not me doing it. It's Michael Mann's work. And, and graciously, uh, the agency, uh, CAA, came in very actively and helped out on the on the movie and made sure that we we got that lead because we had already sold the movie uh, basically. And, uh, wow. It's, yeah, it's an incredible movie. We have Penelope Cruz and we have a Shalane Whitley. And it's, uh, it's going to be an amazing movie. I'm very proud. I just went, came from Imola in in Italy where I saw 1957 Ferraris and Maserati come racing around the Imola uh, racetrack and see Michael Mann do his magic. I mean, it's just, You don't even, you know, when you're doing that work as an executive producer and just watch Michael at work uh, doing his magic, you want to work for free.
0: If you're enjoying the show, just want to find out more about Future of Film, head on over to the home of Future of Film. That's futureoffilm.live. Here you can dive into all five seasons of the podcast and explore some of our other FOTH resources like The Summit and incubator and if you're not already why not sign up for our monthly newsletter we've recently revamped it to include not just the latest from FoF, but new opportunities in the space and our pick of the latest articles on the future of screen storytelling so that's all of the future of film resources and news available now at futureoffilm.live I want to talk about NFT studios, Niels, and obviously the future of film. That's is, you know, this those those projects there. You know, this when people think, you yeah, know, movie making. That's probably you know what a lot of people imagine. But you also mentioned like it's a miracle when you know any movie over five million gets gets made these days. Tell us. Yeah, tell us about this. What well, you 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 come from that traditional filmmaking background, but now you've launched NFT Studios. Um, you see Web three as, as as a, a sal- I, I don't put words in your mouth as salvation for the film <laughs> industry or something. I, tell me tell me what's what's the opportunity there? What's the problem you're looking to uh, solve?
1: Well, the problem is massive. I mean, basically, we have a, an independent film market right now that is in absolute disarray. I mean the the problem. I mean, just not to sound too doomsday about it, but the problem is now that the big guns, meaning Apple, Amazon, Netflix, uh, Disney, are all fighting for the same material, right? And they're all fighting for subscription. And in that war, basically, which is what it is, right? Now people, I mean, companies pouring billions into this industry. Uh, the focus is strictly on Marvel stuff or strictly on franchise stuff or outbidding it other for the likes of a Marty Scorsese movie because they're all keen on getting awards, Oscar, or whatever, and so therefore you know, Killers of the Flower Moon is no secret. I mean, the budget on that is out of control big, right? Because the Apple, you know, has a little bit of cash, I heard, because we all are feeding not the monster, because we love them, but, you know, we're all feeding the same church, right? Amazon, Apple, and whatever. So a monopoly has been created on content, basically, right? Which is scary on many other levels in terms of like who controls the cultural narrative apart from the commercial and movie narrative going on in the world right now. So yes, what has been left in the dust are the quality movies that uh, we did with Silence, for instance, or even like great things that are sitting 10 to $20 million budgets a budget that the studios used to do somewhat, right? That used to finance. I mean, let's talk about movies like The Usual Suspects or Kramer versus Kramer or The Big Lebowski or things like that nature. And, and sure, if you're the Coen brothers, you can still get your movie made or if it, but all of these like up and coming amazing things at the budget level i just mentioned, are having a very, very hard time getting financed right now because there's a squeeze. And if you go and put that movie into Netflix or Amazon, which who I work with and God bless them that they're there, is your chances if it doesn't get supported by real marketing dollar is that your movie can disappear in a week, right? Like. It doesn't even matter because if, 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 you're, if you're in the big bathtub of content on Netflix or Amazon and your movie is a $10 million movie, they're not going to stand behind it with a huge marketing campaign. And if they're not doing that, you can have a movie literally that will disappear in three days and then what? Then it's gone, right? Because then it's in that sort of huge bath, bathtub on page three, four, five on Netflix. Who goes there? Nobody. And then you're uh, amongst friends, episode reruns of Seinfeld and all that stuff, and nobody finds that. So... When, when the NFT thing was happening a year and a half ago and friends of mine came to me and said, hey, why don't you use NFTs as a financing model? I got very interested because, honestly, at this point, anything works. In order to be able to create marketing and um, and community uh, around the movie and then also investments in it from, say, a crowdfunding sort of mindset, we'll take it. I mean, again, I'm a producer. What do we do 90% of the time? We run around with a hat begging for money. We're chasing money, right? And so here was another opportunity, and it looked really, really good. Um, and we, we set it up, uh, and uh, we tried it. However, we just um, came out in, with it in the very, very worst of times when the whole crypto world was falling apart and everything was tanking. So frankly speaking, uh, we failed. I mean, in the NFT model when we when we first launched it. Also because we got bombarded from the Security and Exchange Commission and authorities about, wait, you can't say investment. You can't just go out and say, you invest in our movie through NFTs because now you're a commodity. Now you're subject to the same regulation than everyone else. And rightfully so, by the way. The Security and Exchange Commission are just doing their job, but it set us back like six months. Well, we had to hire a law firm and we had to get the regulation right and we had to get the model right. So we came out uh, this this September and issued some tokens and we didn't do very well. So we're, we're revamping it, we're relaunching it once we have the regulation right, once we have the concept right, once we know that we will pass muster with everything because, I mean, I'm sorry to go on about it, but a lot of people came out gung-ho about NFTs and Web3 and it turns out you know, it's more complicated than people thought it was. And we just want to do it right. I can't, you know, we have liability issues and we're working with main talents. It has to be spot on. But I dream that the model is going to work because there's a way to democratize democratize uh, film financing through people actually coming in and investing in it on early stage. So uh, is there a future? Definitely. Is it there yet? I'm not sure, but I'm hoping. It, it might part finance movies. It might not be that NFTs are going to fully finance a movie. But even if it just comes in with a portion, I'd be happy, and that's what we're aiming for now. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, you know, thank you for for sharing that, you know, that that journey because obviously it's um there's a lot of shiny <laughs> sort of you know <laughs> yeah. lights out there, aren't there? About about this this tech, and it's it's really. Um, you Know it, it would, it becomes, yeah, it comes to the nitty gritty and the reality of it, and actually translating yeah. that into real dollars and real audiences, right? Because I think I agree, it's 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 about the community that's that feels like it's as yep. least as important as the money,
1: absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the one thing, Alex, that's critical, I mean, you know. I've operated in this town for long enough to know that there's a lot of BS, right? And there's a lot of people coming in and they say they got the money for a movie, this and the other. You go have meetings, lunches, dinners, whatever, and they represent some Chinese billionaire, this and the other. And it turns out nine out of 10 times it's BS. It's really not there, right? Where's the money? And the same thing with the NFTs right now. Everybody's coming out and saying, oh, we're going to do this, that and the other. But the one thing I've learned in this town is to never overpromise, underpromise, overdeliver, not the other way around. And I think in the beginning with the whole NFT, everybody went out and over-promised, including ourselves, because we were optimistic that we were going to create something really groundbreaking. And I think we still can, but it's the community aspect that's exciting. It's not whether people make a lot of money on a parrot or a cat or got a cat and all that whole thing that went nuts a little bit. I mean, sorry to say, there was a lot of, sorry, I'm just going to be blunt here, spoiled brats running around making 20000 or 50000 on an NFT. And it was a little bit hallelujah, right? Kind of like whatever. And a lot of people forgot, hey, wait, no, there was a community element to this thing, a disruption element to this thing. That, you know, if this, if it's just about making lots of money as NFT holders, whatever, well, you're the same as Goldman Sachs. You're not a disruptor. You're not Robin Hood anymore. You're it's just another may, may, way of making cash. What I saw and my friends saw that are equal producers and filmmakers is no, Here's an opportunity where we can control the content creation, uh, make backend provisions that are right for the content creators, create communities around movies. That's exciting. Not if it's a whole bunch of people that are trying to make a quick buck on an NFT and whether that's a or cat or a board A or whatever. I think that's a little too hypey. And in in fact, it turned out it was, right? So here we are today. Uh, Let's reshovel the cards and keep the community aspect of it. That's I'm in in control of
0: it. And do you still believe in the, uh, so I think you set up a a DAO, um, which might be helpful to explain what what a DAO is to to the listeners or the viewers, but um, do you still believe in that? Would that still be your preferred way of structuring stuff? A
1: hundred percent. 100%. I mean, the DAO, and and let me be clear, I am not an expert, but I've worked with great people in London and around the world that are experts on this. And the DAO structure has something really beautiful in it, meaning it's like a decentralized autonomous organization, right? It's like a self-governing body that decides whatever is set up from the beginning, how monies are spent, how decisions are made. And if it's actually done in a democratized way, through NFTs coming in and you create a DAO around a, like a mini studio that curates the movies, That whether that's 10, 12, 20 movies a year through a DAO structure, that's good. And, you know, the Security Exchange Commission and everyone else can get their head around that because if you keep a governing arm to whatever you're doing that is, you know, self-governed, straight up rules and regulations within itself, it, it doesn't rob people of money and it's fully transparent from the get-go I really believe in it I just think that we've got to wait until a little bit that the crypto market recovers and that you know honestly that regulators get it right because they're also lost there's losses to some of the crypto people right now and these exchanges that are falling apart because everything was too hyped. I mean that's what it was right and now it's got to find its own level and once it does yes I believe the Dow structure is right and I'm I'll, i'm going to keep banging on that but i'm not going to rely on that because at the moment I'm relying on traditional financing I'm relying on theaters I'm relying on on, on foreign sales I'm relying on equity partners and I'm um, you know but but if and when it's right I would like nfts to be part of financing and I like it DAO structure to become real good because I, I think there's something in it definitely yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's trying to it's trying to find those. It does present a, a possibility, a, a new way of um, bringing new stories, you know, out, outside of a system, or well, not outside of a system. You know what I mean? Like to bring it, bring them through, yeah. which otherwise would struggle to, to 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 be told.
1: Well, I mean, the, the the truth is, I joke about it when I do these speeches or or, 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 or talks. Is the problem is the real problem is Alex is that currently what we're all watching is decided by algorithms, right? I mean, what we're looking at on Facebook, on TikTok, on Instagram, and even in the movie theaters now, mind you, is decided by algorithms, right? Market surveys and algorithms are choosing which movies are going to be shown on Netflix and Amazon, etc., because they're looking at the billion you know datas and they're saying no, we all want this. So I joke that if it's up to the algorithm. We will just watch one one long movie with Iron Man having sex with Kim Kardashian. That's all it's going to be. It's all it's going to be. It's Marvel over and over again, the same formula over and over again. And we're going to put Christian Ronaldo and, and Kardashian and Paris Hilton in it and Ryan Reynolds in it and all that stuff. And, you know, it's, it's equivalent to saying that we're all eating the same food, right? And if we all had it our way, we would all eat burgers and french fries, right? And that's what we get. The, the movies we're getting are burgers and french fries and vanilla ice cream. Right? Because that's what the algorithms are telling us we want to watch. But that's bullshit. No. I think we're much more diversified than that. I think our intelligence level is much higher than the algorithms are telling us. So I, I joke, nothing originally ever came from an algorithm. Never. Right? It's an afterthought. It's, it's, it's something that takes the pulse of what was yesterday, but not today. And it will never create anything new. And anything new and exciting only comes from artists, writers, directors with creative ideas, and knowing how to tell great stories. That's the truth. And so, you know, algorithms is like Little League soccer, right? Little League football, you know, when they run around and all the kids, when you're four years old, there's a ball and everybody runs after that ball. That's current Hollywood. That's the current movie making climate, right? It's, it's, it's the agents, the studios, the streamers are running after the same algorithmic ball, so to speak. That's horseshit. And that's scary because it's also in the cultural narrative, right? It's what my daughter watches and my kids watch. It's what is the algorithm telling us we want to watch. And I'm afraid we're just going to get dumber and dumber and dumber. And Lord help us when now the AI way of writing scripts, they have robots now that are writing scripts from algorithms. AI is there, right? I mean, the ideal script. And so... We're not far away from this Blade Runner world in which we have robots creating content, and lord help us all right because that's going to be one giant Kardashian-L.
0: the <laughs> hell so sorry well, but
1: I'm yeah. not in yeah well, that's, that's yeah. quite an image and
0: and uh, yeah we, we 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 do have a a session in the summit with uh, an AI writing uh-huh. a script at the time so uh, yeah it's um yeah. It, it may you know yeah. it's it's fighting for that um that authenticity of storytelling, T- tell us a bit about and, uh, no fat no ego it's a great great name for a company T- what, it, is this, Is this your vehicle for Ferrari and uh, projects like that or tell what's your modus operandi uh, uh,
1: no fat no fat ego is the name no fat ego is the name of the company that i've had yeah. for about twenty five years twenty odd years so when we had one Dutch the company, which became a $400 million brand worldwide. Uh, what destroyed it was the ego, right? Like most good things. Uh, I'm not comparing it to the Roman Empire, by the way, but, you know, I would say that the Roman Empire destructed itself because of ego, nothing else, right? And uh, it's that. And so jokingly, when my uh, my mom back in the day when she was alive says, hey, what would be a name of your company if you ever did one? i say it would be called No Fat Ego, and we laughed. And you know I've had it ever since, and I'm hired in as a fixer, I'm hired in as a CEO, I'm hired in as a producer, and I literally show people my business card, and it's right on the front of it, big fat letters, it says, no fat ego. (laughs) And yet, some of the people that hire me don't get it, right? Because often, they're the problems themselves, right? I'm hired by fat egos who don't realize that they're pissed away their fortunes, or they're pissed away their... Their, their companies or whatever, because their egos got in their way. The private jets and the things and the, 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 and the bad habits and the shenanigans and the whatever. And so that's the name of my business. That's the philosophy I live with. Uh, I'm from a part in Denmark where, you know, having your feet solidly planted on the ground, not that you can't dream or do crazy things, but if you ever get your head too big, for your own good, it's never healthy. And that's never healthy in the fashion world for a brand, and it's never healthy on a movie, and it's never healthy for community, and it's never healthy for anything. So that's my, uh, yeah, that's that's where I I take my content. I, I, I'm i hired as a uh, hired gun on projects, as an executive producer, when they bring me in on things, I, I say, I, I'm no fat ego, and most people get it. Some people don't, and they never will, but there you go.
0: Mm-hmm. That sounds like a, uh, an important attitude to, to keep sane
1: in LA. It's the only way. And I'll tell you what, the one, the one misconception about sort of Hollywood, when you put it in quotation marks, is most people that work and operate here that have some good success or whatever are actually quite humble. I mean, you know, or people don't know that this town, we divide people in two. The ones are coming for fame and fortune and quick dollars go over this way, right? And they'll be out of here in a few years, right? They, they last for a little while and then they're gone. But the people who actually work in Hollywood are used to the up and down cycles of it. You have one successful year. You might have two shit years as a writer, director, actor, producer, are actually very grounded and very rooted in the art form. And I love working in this town. And surprisingly, there are many less egos here than other places, weirdly, even though it has that sort of image. But it's actually remarkably nice how grounded people are here. And uh, I just love that. And uh, that's how I see life. And, uh, you know, you're only as good as the stuff you do, not the stuff you say, right? And the BS artists have their own, talk department they can yaddy up a storm and play the violin but can they deliver right do they have the money can they they put their money where their mouths are can they actually create the content and so that's really what it's about it's about Mm. the content and the product Mm.
0: nils do you have any advice for storytellers filmmakers and you know making their way in the industry um looking to yeah looking to get ahead what would you what would you say to someone in that situation?
1: It depends on what age group, right? Whenever I talk to college students, I always say, save up your money. Don't spend another dime on another iPad because you're only as free as the money that you have in your bank, right? And as a content creator especially, you're going to need that freedom because the more you have to go and work at a restaurant in order to go and write your script or direct your movies, the less time you can devote to your art. Uh, but... Apart from that, it's like content, 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 right? You're, you know, if you develop develop your own content as much as possible, try and take the job. Say yes to everything. I mean, more or less, if it's something that will enhance and help your creative impulses and your creative output. So do not say no to something that might seem a little less because you've got to go out and try and make mistakes. Try and make mistakes. But then you build communities, right? And whether you're doing a movie for very, very little or you do it for a lot, uh, do that. Uh, make sure that you, you, you stay true as much as you can to your authentic self, because if you try to fake it and be something that you're not and tr- do content that is for the dollar, eventually will show, right? So that's another, uh, important thing. If you can align yourself with good people is simple, right? I mean, just nice people, <laughs> you know, people with light, not, Toxic, dark. If you sense that in anyone, walk away because likelihood they'll fuck you. Excuse my language. They'll F you, right? Or they'll, you know, there'll be problems. But then on the flip side of that, also, and this is the last advice, and this is the important one there's no such thing as a one pager. Don't do that, right? Do the contracts right. Get a lawyer because I've seen so many friends and people that say, oh, we'll just write down the deal on a napkin. No. Do not do one-pages. Make sure that your chain of title on any project is clean. Because someone like myself as a producer, if you come with a script or things and we were multiple people on it, if the chain of title is not squeaky clean and I can see that the ownership is clear, I won't touch it. Not with an ice pick. Nobody will. So get a good lawyer. That's the other thing I want to say. And lawyer jokes aside, I would not have survived this business And I still wouldn't if I didn't have pragmatic, smart lawyers next to me, making sure that along the ways of creating amazing stuff, you keep an eye on the rights, because the rights is everything. Your IP is everything. What you're creating is your asset, right? You are your assets, and what you're creating is your asset. Protect it, right? Be smart about it. And so (laughs) that's the other advice I want to give. Get a good lawyer.
0: That's great. And uh, great advice. Just one more question on NFT studios. I just wanted to come back just to ask, in your analysis, why didn't that work at that time when you did your token sale? I,
1: I, the first one is obviously the regulatory aspects of it, right? Because we came out wrongly and said, or we thought we could say, NFT investments, right? NFT invest in the movie, all right? And then, you know, we literally got, I mean, I got within. I think it was three weeks later, because we had a story in the Guardian and BBC did a piece about us or whatever. I got a letter this big from the Security Exchange Commission, and I opened it and my secretary brought it in and and I opened it and I go, you're under investigation. I'm like, holy shit. And uh, that's exciting. Uh, And I felt a little bit like, wow, okay, wow, big brother. I mean, we hadn't even done anything yet. And we were being investigated. And we literally had to go and spend a truckload of money. Thankfully, I have patient and smart partners, financial partners. And and so we had to hire a great law firm, again, get a good lawyer, uh, to get it right. So we were delayed by, I'm saying, about six months. And then by the time we came out in September, the, the crypto market had just crashed. I mean, the whole thing had fallen apart. And there was a nervousness and then, you know, but we did it sort of like just to test the waters and we didn't do well. It literally didn't do well. And I'm happy to say that because I'm one that says, well, listen, you know, we tried, it didn't work this time. That doesn't mean it's not going to work next time. Right. I mean, uh, uh, the Wright brothers didn't get that airplane up straight away, did they? And there was a whole bunch of people with their flipping wings, jumping off bridges to try to fly until the Wright brothers got it right. Right. So, uh, I think I'm, I'm very I'm very uh, confident that um, that this will happen eventually, and uh, we are at the forefront of it. We have NFT studios. We have a great group of people around the world that are interested. We have uh, some great communities uh, that are still trying. And uh, do we want to be pioneers on it and, and and keep going at it? Yes, but we have to do it in a more level-headed uh, way. And I think. You know, there's been a good sort of cleansing session of the whole crypto world, right? With all these fantastic people that are over-promising and throwing numbers around. And, you know, when anything goes from $1 to $10 billion in five minutes, something's wrong, right? And so now that of card is falling, right? And we'll wait until the dust settles, and then we'll revisit it, right? But, you know, so, so we still got a project, a wing and a prayer, that's going to be part finance with... Uh, NFTs, and and, and we know that's going to be first in our uh, DAO structure, and uh, we'll see. I mean, again, it's a work in progress, but I think we're going to eventually see it coming to its own way. Again, I'm more interested in the community aspect of it, to be honest, than the actual money aspect of it, because every investor in an NFT is a marketing hub, right? So for my attraction, was not always the money. It was more like build a community around something and entities are good for that right and so let's see
0: yeah yeah no amazing that's really that's, that's really helpful as well and i think it's just so it's so important to frame it like that and you know it's this is how this is how things are you know are created isn't it nils i've i really want to be respectful of your time but i do want to ask you um a final question you can take this however you you interpret it but um it's a future of film summit so what is, in your opinion, the future of
1: film? <laughs> that's big. <laughs> I think, honestly, Alex, right now, you and your audience are watching the biggest disruption of the industry ever. And where it's going to land, I'm not so sure. I, 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 I usually dare to predict things. Right now, I don't know. And it's actually a bigger question, what's the future of culture, right? Because, as I mentioned before, if it continues to be the algorithms and the big guns, I mean, I'm no—I have nothing against Jeff Bezos and uh, Apple and all that stuff. But I'm a little frightened that there's five people, Zuckerberg included, that are curating what we're all watching right now. And what are they? What are they? What is their preference? Well, that is to make shareholders happy, right? That's all they're looking at. But if it's if our whole cultural, you know, uh, outpouring from film, from music, from all of that, is done to satisfy shareholders, I'm really little worried of where we're going. And I, I hope the future of film is much more on the independent side of it. And that's why I thought NFTs were great, because it's community-based, because we're not as dumb as Zuckerberg wants us to be. I mean, no offense to Zuckerberg or Bezos or the rest of them, but they're looking after their shareholders and they're making money. So they're they're serving us burgers and vanilla, ice cream and chocolate and all that horseshit. Excuse my language, but I do agree with Marty when he comes out and says, haven't we seen enough of these superhero movies? I've seen enough of them because it's the same damn movie over and over again, right? It's like James Bond. I like James Bond, but it's the same movie 25 times. I'm okay with it, but you know, my kids force me in, into watching these things, but I, it's so formulaic. I'm sorry. And it's just enough already, right? And I think there's a whole lot of people there that would rather watch some great material. Apart from that, we have a world that is falling apart around us, right? We have never seen a worse environment, inequality, wars, you know, you name it. And where does the uh, content come from that put focus on these important matters? Back in the day, it used to be that the films would set the Agenda for what we talked about, right? And it would be important things. It would reflect our world. And now, you know, the the ninety percent of it goes towards this big marble junk. Sorry, I don't mean junk. I mean sort of. Well, I do. But you know, it's like uh, so. So if we do not change this, and if we don't disrupt the the, the gatekeeping, so to speak. And we make sure that the good writers and the good directors have platforms in which it can tell important stories, meaningful things that is going to change the narrative, the cultural narrative of this world. I'm worried, but I don't want to be worried because I'm born a happy Danish optimist, right? So I say, well, no, let's just find every way possible to change that. I think theaters is a good place to start. I just spoke with uh, AMC theaters right now. How do we boost theaters? How do we get a direct model in which theaters are part of it? There's tech opportunities right there now that are not subscription-based, right? I don't think people are going to want to keep paying $150 a month to have Hulu, Disney, Apple, Amazon, Netflix. Something's got to give. And if it's independent movies that are coming out that you can buy a la carte and you go to, the theater, I don't know. But So the future of film is... It's a question mark. It's, 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 the future of film is as dumb as we want ourselves to be, <laughs> or not. That's the future of film. Us as a consumers, you and me and everyone watching, how dumb do we want to be? Because if we want to be dumb, don't worry about it. Zuckerberg is going to make sure we are. Sorry, damn it! I think I'm going to be blacklisted on my Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there you have it. I mean, yeah, seriously, there, right? uh, other, other social media,
0: other social media platforms are are available. Yeah, I know. I yeah, it's, it's great. It's great. Yeah. It's, it's it's a yeah, choice. I mean, I did that. Isn't it?
1: Yeah, I did a TED talk about this, and uh, it's for everyone to see, I, uh, I did it at UCLA, uh, 2016. People can go watch that TED talk. I said everything I have to say about social media on that TED talk. Uh, it's called "Selfie Sapiens." Go find it. I, I have a very vivid opinion about that because I had three teenage kids, and uh, you know, it's, I do not want uh, uh, you know Zuckerberg and the rest of them to decide what's cool and what's not. Cool. It's not for them. It's mm. for my kids to find out. So uh, there you go.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, Nils, um This has been great. I really, I really appreciate your, yeah, your time, your openness, and uh, and thanks so much for joining us uh, for Future of Film Summit.
1: And Alex, you pay for the liability lawsuits coming after what, everything that I've said. You guys cover that, right? Every every penny of it. <laughs> or should I just drive really fast from here and, Just get out. Just you know.
0: <laughs> get out of there. Yeah. Um, yeah, we can we can discuss yeah.
1: that. Yeah. <laughs> no no it's it been a joy and a pleasure and I I hope everyone at the summit has such a good time so it's a real pleasure to meet you and uh, and every creator there every writer every director just keep writing keep directing keep acting keep going don't stop keep going that's it
0: thank you for listening to this episode of Future of Film podcast which was recorded as part of Future of Film Summit 2022 and brought to you in partnership with Epic Games, Unreal Engine, Autodesk, Nvidia and Dell Technologies.